Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. Uh, I agree with the songwriter to an extent. And I might add one word. I cannot give one logical answer as to why I should gain from his reward. But I can give a theological answer. I gain from Christ's reward because the Father promised I can. Why he does that, I don't know. He has a plan, and it ends up for his glory. But uh, he said it, and so that's why I get to get in on the treasures of Christ as he died for our sins on the cross. Would you join me? Matthew chapter 12. Uh, We're going to move on into verse 33 to 37 in a little bit. I'm going to back up a bit in a moment to uh, read two or three verses uh, prefacing this from last week's passage, all right? I'll go ahead and warn you. I hope this doesn't happen, but if I hit a point somewhere in today's message where my voice kicks out on me, it's because I, I did what I'm not supposed to do. I actually sang this morning in the first couple of songs, full-throated, and I'm supposed to wait until the end and save my voice, but sometimes you get a case of the I can't help it, and that's what happens. So if that happens, we'll deal with it. All right, so here's the scene. I know some of you were not able to be with us last week, or even if you were, let's very quickly get up to speed with where we're at as we're going through the book of Matthew. You're in chapter 12. Uh, You'll not see this on the screen. I'm only going to put like One early verse, and then we're going to jump ahead to the two verses immediately preceding today's text. But here's the scene. There was a man who was demon-oppressed, possessed. He was blind, and because of the particular demon that was in him, he was mute. He might have been deaf, but we know of at least three things. Jesus healed him so that the demon is cast out. He spoke and he saw, right? So he's completely healed. Something about this was so unique and powerful that verse 23 says all the people were amazed, like really astounded, Uh, like apparently more than normal. Something about this, they were extremely amazed. I used the phrase, they were literally blown away by this. So much so that either someone suggested or they started to possibly agree. Again, I'm looking at verse 23. Can this be the son of David, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one? Is that what, this is not what we're looking at, is, is it? Is that what's happening here before us? Is this the Messiah? I mean, look at what he just did. Now, one of the verses that we're going to look back, notice verse 24. So that's what the people are saying. Could this be him, the one we're looking for? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So you have demons the prince over, the Lord over the demons. It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. They won't even say Jesus' name. This man's only doing that by the power of that one, the evil one. Satan is empowering him to cast these devils out. Now, without reading all the verses we read last week, Jesus totally shoots that down by saying, number one, that's extremely foolish because that would be Satan divided against himself, and that's a horrible plan. He's not that stupid. Satan is not fighting against himself. Secondly, he says, in essence, again, reading between the lines, I'm not the only one who's cast out demons. Some of your own sons through the centuries have been used to cast out demons, and they would correct you because they know that Satan is not going to use a human being to cast demons out of another human being. So they would judge you and correct you. Why are you ascribing to me an accusation that you're not putting on other people? You don't say that they're casting out demons by the power of Satan. Why would you do that to me? Verse 28 Again, not on the screen, but it's very key. 
Christ tells them, it is, this is key, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just him being the son of God that he comes in and casts these demons out. As a, He was that, but as a man, he's relying while on earth, he's relying on the power of the Holy Spirit that anointed him for ministry. He used the power of the Spirit to cast out these devils. But they're saying that it's by the power of Satan. So the reason I had verse 24 is because it sets up with what we looked at at verse 31 now. Now notice verse 31, you'll see it on the screen or in your Bible. Having said it's by Satan that he does this, that prompts Jesus to go into this that we looked at last week. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. That's great news. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. There's this one, you do it, you will not be forgiven. So why is he doing that? He's obviously saying that they have blasphemed. To what level have they blasphemed? It's not totally clear. Verse 32, what in the world is blasphemy? So he kind of, verse 32, almost gives us an explanation a little bit. And whoever speaks a word, so any sin... Any kind of sin, any amount of sin is capable of being forgiven if a person will go through the faith steps that God calls for. Verse 32, and whoever speaks a word against, so now we kind of know a little more what blasphemy is. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus' title for himself, which was just done, he says, that will be forgiven. The idea of it can be forgiven, even blaspheming the Son of Man. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. They'll not be forgiven in the age to come. But notice he says, you cross this line, you'll not be forgiven in this life. You will have disqualified yourself. You will have moved. You will be beyond forgiveness, incapable of being forgiven because you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. So two quick things before we head into today's text. What the Pharisees said in verse 24 is definitely blaspheming the Son of Man, Jesus. They definitely blasphemed him. That's forgivable. What is unclear is, did they also blaspheme the Holy Spirit? We know that they at least got up to the borderline of blaspheming the Spirit. That prompts Jesus to tell them, you're getting dangerously close. Don't say that again. You're about to cross over the line. Or maybe he is saying, you have already crossed over the line. I cannot re-preach last week's message, but I offered, offered, okay, wouldn't die for these things that I offered, but I offered that the idea of blaspheming the Holy Spirit can be to speak against His name, His person, to use in vain, to use flippantly wrong in the wrong way. You may get by with that in, in the Lord Jesus' name or in God the Father's name, but don't do, you don't do that with any of them, but definitely never do that. And you don't normally hear a person do that. Secondly, we said that blasphemy against the Spirit may be, it may be, it may be the first one, it also may be ascribing the work of the Holy Spirit to another. And that's, I think, getting even closer to what's happening here. They're saying that Jesus very clearly says, I cast out devils by the Holy Spirit. You have said that I'm doing it by the power of Satan. In essence, you're saying what the Holy Spirit is doing is being done by Satan. And whether they thought of it that way or not, you are in essence saying that the Holy Spirit is Satan. Don't say that again. If you haven't crossed the line, you're dangerously close. You need to back away. And then thirdly, I feel confident in offering to you that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit 
Without going into it all, you need to go back and especially listen to the last 20 minutes of last week's message because it's much more technical than I'll get into here. But I'm confident that it is to clearly understand the Holy Spirit's message about Jesus. You clearly understand it. Watch. You understand the facts, and you even agree with the facts, but it's all in your head. But you don't yet rely on it, depend upon it, trust it. You, everything is there to be saved, but you stop short of salvation. And here is where I think, as the Holy Spirit's giving that insight, clear understanding about Christ, that eventually a person, because they don't get saved, they reach a point where they back away from that. They apostatize from that truth and, in essence, go back on what they formerly believed. Again, never saved, but they had it all here, everything but saved. And then eventually they go back on that. I no longer believe those things. And now they have spoken against, in essence, they're calling the Holy Spirit a liar. They're rejecting the message that they were almost ready to commit their life to. And so that's why I encouraged people last week, don't almost commit your life to this truth. When the Holy Spirit gives you understanding and you agree with it, then trust it. Rest in it. Rely upon it. Take it from the Lord. Become his child. And then you can never commit the sin of blaspheming the Spirit. Now, that's the background Look at verse 33. Following that, Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good. Either make the tree good and its fruit good. Tree's good, fruit should be good. Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. You're going to say the tree's bad, then its fruit is bad too. So make sure they match. For the tree is known by its fruit. The tree is known by its fruit. How do we know what kind of the fruit tells us about the tree? It's the most evident thing to clearly identify and tell us the nature of the tree. One more time through verse 33. Following all this discussion, Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, still this same context, I believe he's zeroing in on the Pharisees. You, watch this, you generation of vipers, you offspring of vipers, you're not the original poisonous viper, you're not the original dangerous viper killing viper. You claim that I'm being used by Satan. It is you guys who are actually being used. It is you who are the offspring of Satan. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good? Follow what he's saying. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks Hey, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, you can't speak good because you're evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, he is going to split and give two analogies. Two examples. The good person, out of his good treasure, speaks forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, speaks forth evil. What does verse 35 make pretty clear about verse 33? We're not just talking about trees. 
Verse 35, in essence, is going to say basically the same thing, but clarifying the analogy. Verse 35, clarifying verse 33. So those three verses will go together, and then the last two go together. After saying all of that, Jesus says, I tell you, that's drawing special attention, like really pay attention here, on the day of judgment, grace of you, listen, on the day of judgment, This is not figurative language. It'll come up again the next time we look in Matthew. On the day of judgment, people will give account. People will give account for the words they speak. That's not what it says. For the careless words they speak. That's not what it says. On the day of judgment, Jesus says, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Let me pause right there. I, I, I had this in my notes and I deleted it and lo and behold, here it comes right now anyway. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I had a meeting with someone and it was a confrontational meeting. The person in the meeting made it very clear to me that the way I choose to live my life is not the standard for them. Well, you live, hey, that's you. That's you, that's what you do. I don't have to do that. Your, your life is not my standard. I very quickly agreed because they were 100% right. But then we went on and I tried to illustrate that actually you're even going against your own standard. I tried to illustrate that. I don't know that I got that through. But they were going against even their own standard and were reluctant to admit this. But the very clear point they wanted made is my life is not their standard. So true. Can I say this? Some of you may have had a time in your life where someone else, you feel like they're just kind of pushing you, right? They're just kind of pushing you. They want more. They have these crazy expectations. They do something. Listen, that's your life. You do that. Your life is not my standard. Hey, good news. Their life is not your standard. But look at Jesus' standard. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word. I think I'd almost rather have my standard. <laughs> like, Mine's looking a lot better than that one. Hey, yeah, you're, you're the, you, the way you choose, you can go crazy and fanatical. That's not my... Jesus says every careless word they speak, give an account for. And verse 37 can also be a bit confusing. For by your words, Jesus still talking about the day of judgment, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So what's going on here? Let's notice two things this morning. Number one. These points are super simple, and you would get these two points if you read this three or four, five or ten times. You would, in a moment, you'd realize, oh, 33 to 35 go together, and 36 37 go together. What's the main idea? So let's just state the main ideas. They're very obvious. Number one, our words reveal our heart. Our words reveal our heart. If I could put that to motion, just for a moment, very simple, right? If I was teaching second graders or sixth graders, what would we say? Watch, our words reveal our heart. I'm not talking about here. Our words, your words reveal your heart. So in verse 33, Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. I'm going to tell you guys, I struggled with this. I read this over and over. Uh, The word make just caused me probably about an hour this past week. And I finally realized, Jeff, 
you need to figure out what that word means. But I, and I finally told myself, Jeff, I think you're getting bogged down on what is not the main point. But I couldn't, I have this thing. I got I to gotta go in order. And I really, it cost me a lot of time. I'm stuck on the word make. And then finally I realized, okay, I think I know what that means. But ultimately he's really trying to get to the second part of verse 33. The second part's the main thing. So can we do this, right? What is verse 33 about? Watch. We have trees and fruit. Trees and fruit. The trees, help me out, stands for a what? Person. Trees stands for a person. So then the fruit of the tree, the fruit, this is a person, then the fruit stands for their, and you could fill that in with two or three things, their actions, their lifestyle, their deeds. But in the context that we're going to work with today, what specific part of their lifestyle, deeds, and actions or is Jesus zeroing in as the specific fruit that is going to needing to match the person? It's their what? Words, right? It's their words. So these trees either make it good and the fruit is good or make it bad and the fruit is bad. So here's the key. These should match. So I think this is kind of the main thing that we're looking at here. So we have trees and fruit. Those should always match. People and their lifestyle, people and their deeds and actions, people and their words match. Here's what can't happen. Young lady getting ready to introduce new boyfriend to her parents, right? Hypothetical. And but right before she meets them, she realizes, okay, I better prepare them. And she says something to this effect. Hey, listen, listen. Right before you meet him, I will go ahead and tell you and prepare you. Uh, he has a bit of a nasty, vile, filthy blasphemous, violent, cursing mouth. <laughs> but he's a great guy when you get to know him. <laughs> what? He has a vile, blasphemous, violent, cursing, nasty mouth, but, he, but he's a great guy when you get to know him. Honey, no, he's not. He is not. How do you know that, Jeff? You can't say, no, he's nasty, vile, blasphemous, and cursing. That's what he is because his words are revealing his heart. And you may think he's cute and you may think he's going somewhere and he's going to make a lot of money. He's really talented and all that. Wonderful. You may think those things, but don't fool yourself. He's really a good guy. Listen, if the mouth is nasty and vile and corrupt, then the heart is nasty, vile, corrupt, blasphemous. They go together. These have to match. So I don't want to camp out in verse 33, so I want to make a couple of quick points about it. I'm reading this verse over and over, and I keep struggling. What is Jesus saying? Either make the tree good and its fruit good. All right. Is it possible that the main thing that's happening here, this is just an agricultural analogy that Jesus is using to mainly get to the second part of verse 33. That's the point he's wanting to make, which I just illustrated. The, the person and their life and words should match just like a tree and its fruit matches. In their day, they would say, could it be as simple as Jesus using a simple agricultural analogy? If you're going to say that's a good tree, then it's because it produces in their day. You know what? We get olives from that tree. You know what? We get figs from that tree. That's a good tree. We get good figs. From that vine, we get really good grapes. We get really good timber. This over here is not a good tree. Why? Because it doesn't put off any fruit, just scant, unhealthy fruit, or it produces 
thorns and thistles. Just go ahead and call it, that's bad tree and these are good tree. And the reason we're able to tell is because of the fruit that it's producing. But then as I read it over and over, I think that is what he's doing. He's using this analogy to get to the second part of verse 33. But could it be that this is what's happening? Could Jesus be telling his audience, everybody listen, you need to make up your mind either I am good or I am bad. And watch, whatever conclusion that you people, could this be the son of David? He's just doing that by the power of Beelzebul. You need to come to a conclusion. I'm either good or I'm bad. And whatever you conclude, your conclusion needs to match the fruit of my life. That needs to be, that needs to match because they go, if you say he's a good person, then I'm a good person, then you should have reasons to conclude that. If you say I'm a bad person, you should have reasons to conclude that. Could it be that Jesus in essence is saying this, hey, listen, you say that, you need to understand this, Satan has wonderful, wonder-working powers, supernatural ability, but he's going to use it for lying wonders, Jesus used his power to actually help people. Satan never uses his power to help people. Do you remember when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness? What did he tell Jesus? Show your power by doing what? Jump off the temple. Jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Could I ask this? What would that accomplish? It would show great power if he doesn't fall. Satan did not say, you you know what you need to do? Go out and heal a hundred lepers and show people your power. No, he doesn't do that because Satan doesn't want to help people. What Christ is saying is either make me out to be good or bad, but here's what you need to know. I'm not being used by the power of Satan because he never helps people. I help people. Hold your spot here. Go with me if you would. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, I think we'll see Christ in essence... uh, I think he's going to say something here that ties back to this idea that we're looking at. Basically making the point that I just said. Verse, John chapter 10, verse 37. John 10, 37. Jesus says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, so he's saying that he and the Father, God is his Father, and he and the Father are one. They're getting very upset They think he's blaspheming. So here's this. Hey, hey, hey. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. Heard a politician this last week. I won't say who it was. But he had an accusation apparently made it sometime in the past by someone. And they made that accusation. And he said, if I believe that about me, then I wouldn't vote for me. Right? If if you believe that, then I wouldn't vote for me. So I'm not going to vote for him. Anyway. Um, All right. Can't get into that. Verse 37. (laughs) Jesus, in essence, is saying the same thing. Hey, hey, hey. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, if the things you see me doing are not the things that you would expect that a person that is the Son of God become flesh to do, if I'm not doing those, then don't believe me. Okay? Just, Just don't believe me. But verse 38, he says, But if I do them, even though you do not believe in me, obviously you guys do not believe in me, But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. If you're having this struggle, man, I don't know that I believe him, but I have to acknowledge he is definitely doing that. He says, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He's always saying, if I'm not doing the Father's work, then don't believe me. But if I am, 
then believe the works. And though you may not yet believe me, if you'll believe the works that I do are the works from God the Father, that will be a doorway and an avenue for you to eventually believe in me. But maybe some of you, you're ready to believe in me. But many of you are not ready to believe in me because you're confused, but at least believe the works. Do an honest evaluation. Are these the works of God? And the answer is yes. And he's saying, if you'll start there, then you can get to where you believe in me. And so I think as we go back to Matthew Chapter 12, I think what's happening here is Jesus is saying, make up your mind. Either I'm a good person who is to be followed, or I'm a bad person who needs to be avoided and even opposed. And I think the main point Jesus is making is this. You have had plenty of time to get all the evidence you need. If I were to ask you guys from what they have seen of the life of Christ, and you had to summarize the fruit of his life with one, the life of Christ, they've had plenty of evidence How would you summarize one word? Maybe you say perfect or sinless. You have my life to go by. Sinless. Yes, I know you're confused about some things I do on the Sabbath, but I gave you some Bible reasons, and these guys had no answer to the Bible verses that I posed. And yes, you see me eating with tax collectors and sinners, and that's very confusing, but you cannot lay a charge that I am doing the things that tax collectors and sinners do. I am reaching out to them. I'm showing them love and grace and mercy. I'm trying to win them to the eternal kingdom, but I'm not doing what they are doing. They have his life, and secondly, they also have his teaching. You have all the evidence you need to know. You need to either make the tree, Christ, good or he's bad. But you have his teaching. No one has ever taught like Christ taught. No one has ever had the content. No one's ever had the authority. In other words, you name the spot in the Old Testament you want to talk about, he'll tell you the true meaning of it. No one's ever done that. And then he has his healings. Jesus is saying, I help people. Make up your mind. Am I good or am I evil? Your conclusion should match my life. And if you do that, you realize that these Pharisees are so wicked they can't even spot clear truth when it's slapping them right in the face. Now would you look at verse 34? Would you look at verse 34? Kind of look at that. I'm going to go ahead and kind of tell you. I don't even know why I did this. It's just the way it ended up happening. We're going to go in reverse order in verse 34. We're actually going to start at the bottom, work our way to the top. So we'll go bottom, middle, top, but let's read it first. You brood of vipers. In other words, again, You're calling me. You're saying I'm being used by Satan. It is you who's being used by Satan. You brood of vipers. How can you? And I want to play on that in a minute. I'm going to come to that in a minute. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance, in a moment I'm going to touch on the word abundance. But first let's start here. Christ makes a maxim, a principle. For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. Guys, in a sense, this is kind of the crux of our message today. We could really say, verse 34, the end. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where is he saying? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. R.C. Sproul offers the following. I'm going to need to qualify it in a moment, but let me read what he writes. Sproul says, talking about verse 34, he says, Jesus said that the driving force... Behind our words that we use is not the intellect. The driving force behind the words that we use is not the intellect. Now, I have read what he said, and I'm going to offer a qualification of that in a moment. So I'm going to insert, because I read what he said, and I know what he meant here before it. But it's not in the quote. So listen, I'm going to add this word. 
Jesus is saying that the driving force behind the words that we use is not the intellect only, or not just the intellect. So please remember that. I'm going to touch it in a minute. Now let's take my word out. Jesus said the driving force behind the words that we use is not the intellect, but the heart, the very core of our being. If you peel away all of the outer layers and you get down to the core of a person, that's what's driving Could I even say, without harming the text, I hope, that's what's often driving the majority of our speech. So, to conclude Sproul's words, here's what he writes. So, by the way, you say, what's this core of our very being? He's talking about that heart is the place within us where our true nature is to be found. And that's what Jesus is saying. Your words are springing forth from that part in you where your true nature is found. And then Sproul says, so words are not as unimportant as we often seem to think they are. They're not unimportant. Instead, words are some of the very best fruits that indicate what we are. Words are some of the very best fruit that indicate what we are. Guys, I'm not a horticulturalist, but I've said over and over, if I see oranges on a tree, then that's an indicator. That's an orange tree. Apples on a tree tells me that's an apple tree. Your words tell us and you, if you'll pay attention, your words tell you what you really are because they're springing from the heart. Now, I want to qualify my part in this Not harming, but I'm going to propose balancing what he just said. You say, so Jeff, so we never speak from our intellect then. I believe we do speak from our intellect. And I'm making a little distinction. It's subtle. Got to hang with me. We speak from our mind when we prepare our thoughts. We get ready. We're preparing. We type them out. You say, Jeff, what do you mean? When we prepare our thoughts. We're speaking from our intellect. We're showing what we think. We're showing our knowledge of something. This is my knowledge of this. This is what I'm supposed to think here. This is, or watch, when we're giving a memorized answer, this comes up and we go through the files. Oh yeah, over at church we've been taught, that's the answer to that. Is that your answer? That's what I've been taught and that's what comes out. Okay, that's a memorized answer. That's coming from your intellect. When you have time to to pound out and write it out and and up. Delete and start over and reword and start over. Okay, that's the mind. That's our knowledge. That's what we're thinking. That's our theology. That may not be our heart, though. So if you're taking notes, write the following. Watch the distinction. It's very simple. When we relax and just speak from our heart, it reveals what we really are. In other words, we've we've gotten away from our prepared thoughts. We've gotten away from our typed out speech. To me, as a preacher, and I know some preachers, they have the philosophy, just kind of read the Bible some and get up and just speak from your heart, okay? Others, it's like, oh, no, 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 that's so dangerous. You need to study, 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 and only, and get up and all but read the text, read your text that you've typed out. I find that I feel like the Lord uses me, but this is just me, best when I have taken time to put 
Lord willing, proper theology down, but all the while being open to the Lord, if I'm in a right spirit, to the Lord bringing my own heart. And it's often in those moments that I feel like people will say, boy, Jeff was passionate about something. That was probably where my heart was really meaning and attaching itself and pronouncing theology that was thought through. And that's that's when it's most effective is when the two come together and balance each other. But let me say this one more time. Watch. When we relax to speak from our heart, it reveals what we really are. And guys, that's why some people are one way in public and another way in private. Why? Because they got the speech prepared in public. But in private, not that at all. Not that at all. Barclay words it this way. Here's a small little example. This is an example. He says, a man will say in anger what he really thinks. You let him get angry. So there's this public, and then there's this private. You ever, you ever seen this? Somebody's getting ready to give a public speech. They have no clue because the timer says there's still seven minutes before it starts. They have no idea the mic is on, and they're over here talking, and they're saying things that actually go exactly against what they're getting ready to say. Over here, they don't know the, the, the mic is hot, and they're caught, and they get in huge trouble, or they're at the big round table with everybody, and they're whispering to somebody, and the mic picks it up. Yeah, what they're whispering and saying over here is what they really are in the heart. This other here may not match. One thing in public, another thing in private. Barclay says, a man will say, will say in anger what he really thinks and what he has often wanted to say, but which the cool control of prudence has kept him from saying. By the way, prudence, we don't need to say that's everything in our heart. Don't say everything. Well, just follow your heart and share your heart and speak your heart. Give him a piece of your, give him a piece of your mind. No, don't. Don't. It's not, not always good. Sometimes we need to have more prepared and a little less from the heart. But... What if, Jeff, is it possible? Write this down. I'm going to propose to you that a person is in a good place. I have good, um, oh, italicized, not even italicized, but put in quotes. Why? Because I'm pulling from what Jesus is saying in verse 35. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. Can I propose to you that a person is in a good place when they are so controlled by God's Spirit, that in that moment, even if they are just sharing their heart freely, at that moment, they're still so controlled by the Holy Spirit. They've moved away from the planned thoughts. They're not overtyped thoughts. Nothing like that. Nothing's prepared. They're just sharing their heart, but they're so full of the Holy Spirit in that moment that they're still, their words are still glorifying to God and edifying to the hearers. That person's in a good place. When their heart is just so in tune. You say, Jeff, don't we have like a phrase for that? What is that person called? Two words hyphenated. That person is spirit-filled. So controlled. You mean even though they're moving into their heart and it's a little less guard. The guards come down. Yes, even in the unguarded moment, they're still glorifying God and edifying people. That's when you're in a good place. If I could say it another way. Some of us talk more than others, right? James chapter 3 warns those that teach. Don't need a lot of people being teachers. If you're going to be a teacher, just know the more you talk, the more accountability you're going to have. So I wrote it this way. The more we talk and the more freely we talk, the more evident our heart will be. You're not going to be able to hide your heart the more you talk. Some of you are like, I already know the conclusion of this message. But I can't tell you because it would require me talking and I'm not talking ever again. No, that's not the conclusion of the message. 
Look in the middle of verse 34. Verse 34 is our, kind of our key today. You brood of vipers, how can you speak when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the heart's what's driving these words, but notice the word abundance. This is key, I'm gonna be brief, watch. Abundance here doesn't just mean there's a lot of this. Abundance means excess, excess, overflowing. It's the idea, overflowing, watch. It's the abundance of the heart, not just a lot of something in the heart, it's what's spilling out. It's, watch, it's what the heart can't contain anymore, so it's coming out in words. Why is that person saying that? They can't help it, it's coming out in words. It's their heart boiling over, spilling over, excess, overflowing. Jesus says, out of the abundance of your core person, when you've got away from the memorized things, now you're just talking, you're gonna be talking from the abundance of your heart. Now, I don't want to sound mean here, but I want to be practical for just a moment. We don't have to be around people very long, some people very long, before we realize what, what they're passionate about. Something's more times than not in our heart. Now, somebody here this morning, you say, Jeff, you're just in such a dead spot, such a, like, I don't know, just withdrawn, maybe almost borderline depression. It's like you, there's nothing passionate in your heart. You could get there. Most of us have something in our heart right now. Something is going on inside of you, and it is ready to get out if you let the guard down. So we don't have to spend time too long around a person, usually before we get to know, I think I've got to know what that person's about. Why? They started talking. They got off script, and they really started talking, and I think I know a little more about them. Again, not being mean. From experience... I have, and you know some too, there are some folks I can almost tell you within three minutes what they're going to talk about. You ever met a person like that? You're like, somebody just came to some of your mind, right? I have a few. I won't say who they are. You might know them. But there's some folks, like, I could almost have like a little side quarter bet, not like a real one, just like, let's go talk to him. I got a quarter says within three minutes this will come up. I'm not going to bring it up. You're not going to bring it up. All right, I'll take that. All right. Minute 45 in, told you. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Oh, yeah, we've only heard this 98 times. Uh, those who tend to go to the same things, what are they doing? They're showing their heart. They can't help it. Uh, and I don't know if it's just me. Let me throw some usual suspects out, right? Have you ever just, you're walking through the neighborhood and you see somebody, you hardly ever see them, and guys, it doesn't matter what is going on in the world, doesn't matter what's going on in the neighborhood, the conversation may call for talking about this, but within three minutes, it's going to be talking about their family. You're going to get an update on their family. I know you didn't ask for it, but you're going to get one. Oh, and you wonder why everybody walks away from you when we walk in the neighborhood, because we know we're going to get a 14-minute update on your family, and we didn't ask for it. Or, it's not about the family, it's about themselves, because why are they doing that? That's what's in their heart. Some people, it's money. Just immediately. They're gonna, within three minutes, they're going to be talking about money. Or, I've seen this over and over. I don't know if it's just because of who I am or where I'm at or position or what. It's like, market. Within three minutes, they'll be laying feelers out of how they are lacking money. Others, it's sports. Guilty. Guilty. Okay? Just mark it down. Within three or four minutes... Some kind of sports are going to come up. Politics. I have someone in my mind. I know for a fact if I talk with them for three minutes, a specific politician's name is going to come up. They will say the politician's name by name. Why? Because no matter what we're talking about, ultimately it goes back to this person. In their, everything goes back. It's like, really? 
That's what's in the heart. And it's just waiting to get. Some, it's sickness. No matter where we're at, it's like sickness is coming up. Others, the latest gossip. It could be different things, but you're only talking for three minutes. like, the latest gossip. Have you heard? Listen, it's not for me to say, but I just thought you might want it. Oh, really? Yeah. Thanks. You do this every time. Or God. You ever seen the person? Then three minutes, they're going to be talking to you about God. Why is that? That's what's in their heart. That's what's in their heart. It's going to come out. Now, the last phrase that we want to look at in verse 34, look at it again. It's toward the top. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good? How can you speak good when you are evil? Jesus says, how can you? Guys, we could go a lot of directions here, but I want to offer, think with me. Do we ever hear the Pharisees get it right? I know they talked about other things than what's recorded in the, in the New Testament. But like everything that's ever said about these guys recorded in the New Testament, they hardly ever get it right. I'm thinking of one, work with me, think with me. I'm thinking of one particular good thing about God. You never find them talking about this. What is it? You never find the Pharisees talking about the good grace and mercy of God. Well, there they go again, talking about the grace and mercy of God. Pharisees never did that. Why? Because they are constantly exalting and pointing attention to their external, their supposed, their own external righteousness. They're constantly shining the light on their performance. They're constantly saying, hey, look over here. Look at our rules. Look how good we're keeping our rules. Why are they doing that? They're never talking about the grace of God. Help me out. They don't talk about the grace of God because they don't have the grace of God in them. They're speaking out of the abundance of the heart. There's no grace of God in them. Their speech is always self-exalting and condemning of you and I and anyone else. They go up because their attitude in their heart is, boy, I'm really something and you're not as good as we are. They're always talking down that way because that's what's in their heart. If I could say it this way, their words are giving them away. Just like our words give us away. Our words give us away. Would you do this exercise with me? Ladies and gentlemen, if our unguarded, relaxed words, nobody's here, and they go into anger, anger, just start spewing. Why? Because nobody's here now. And whew, that is happening because that is an angry person. I'm not talking about an incident, but I'm talking about if it's a pattern. Everybody's gone now, bam, you're going to get it. Why? It's given, your, your words are giving your heart away. You're an angry person. That's why you're saying angry things all the time. If it's this, by the way, they used to have these 1-900 numbers years ago. I don't see those commercials anymore. Praise the Lord. I hope they don't exist anymore. But if someone like, okay, feels some privacy, finally, it's just us, and they start texting or, or talking here, or it's late and everybody's gone from the office, and they start talking lustful words, it's because they have a lustful heart. If someone goes through life and it's constantly wish, 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 by the way, sometimes guilty, it's because we have a covetous heart. 
If someone's very deceitful in their words, it's because they are a liar in their heart. If some, all of our words are self-focused all the time, it's because in our heart we are a self-focused person. If our words are boastful, get us off script and we're just boasting. I, 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 I do this, I do, I do, I do, I did, I can, I will. It's because we are very proud. You say, Jeff, those are all negative. What if you come across a person off script and they're just kind in their words? They are a kind person. If this person off script in the moment and they just like just hearing something, couldn't have prepared for it, and all of a sudden they put themselves in that person's shoes and it moves them and they want to do something about it. That is a considerate person. Some people, unplanned, they hear some things and they just say back wise things. Why? They're a wise person. Saw that played out about six days ago at a retreat I was at. If someone is just worshipful and thankful in their words, it's because they're worshipful and thankful in their heart. It's going to come out. Your words reveals your heart. One more thought out of verse 34 before we quickly hit 35. You brood of vipers, how can you speak? Hey guys, now this is for Christians, but it's only for a certain kind of Christian. In fact, I talked with someone Wednesday night that had this desire. If you are a Christian who wants to tell people about Christ and share your faith and actually be used of the Lord to bring people to salvation, I want you to listen here. Let's really think about what we do. Let's think. Maybe rethink. What I'm about to say, I'm going to say, let's start steering away from two things that we often say. And it's not that these are bad. I'm going to go ahead and qualify. There may be times you only have a a moment and using these two go-tos that we have is all you have time for. And you're basically throwing out. And if the other person will bite, then you'll make time. But obviously they don't have time. And if they don't bite, then it just wasn't meant to be. What I'm talking about. Now you say, what are you talking about, Jeff? When you have time to share your faith, or to talk to someone about their soul, how do we do it? I mentioned, I think it was last week, a couple weeks ago, I forget which, a man named Jeff Musgrave taught us how to share faith. Boy, I wish I just would ever, one day in my life, live up to what he taught us. But let me throw this at you. You ready? When you are talking to someone about their souls, Christians, Stop giving them the answers. Say, what do you mean? We, well, God, I want to share my faith, and I want to check on them. Here's what we do. So are you saved? And that sounds great. We've been taught to do that. What's 99 people out of 100 down south going to say to that? Yep. So are you saved? Yep. All right. I'm a great witness. Could it be that anything that we pursue beyond their yep is going to come across as, well, you calling me a liar? Why do you keep questioning me? I told you, yep. You just gave them the answer. Are you saved? Yep. Oh, no, no, Jeff, I got a follow-up question. Have you ever trusted Jesus as your Savior? What are they going to say? Yep. What you just said. Done it. Can I go now? I'm sensing I'm not going to like where this conversation's going. Yep, told you I'm saved. And yep, uh, what what was it? Trusted Jesus. Yep, what you said. Yeah, I've done it. Stop giving them the answers. How can you say good when your heart is evil? Jeff, what's your point? 
What if we don't give them the answers? Like, really, what if you walked out of here today and this week you said, I'm not going to ask somebody that question if I have time. Musgrave taught us this. How is your relationship with God? Yep. No, I didn't ask. Yep. (laughs) How's your relationship with God? And let them talk. And here's the big one. When they talk and they're finished, okay, you say, Jeff, I need to blast them because it's not a good Bible answer. Okay, hang on, not, not yet. Love them. Watch this. What do you think it takes to have a relationship with God and live with Him forever in heaven? Yep, will not answer that question. Let me say it again. You saved? You trusted Jesus as your Savior? Stop giving them the answers. So what do you think it takes to have a relationship with God, you know, and live with Him forever in heaven? Be quiet. Let them talk. Let them talk. Can you, by listening, get to their heart? Now, down south here, people have done this so much, they're going to give you the regurgitated, memorized answer. Musgrave very brilliantly says, after that, ask one more question. Does anybody remember the next two-word question? Say it. Anything else? What do you think it takes to have a relationship with God and live with Him forever in heaven? Let them talk and listen remember their answers. When they're done, anything else? Anything else you would add to that? Well, yeah, I mean, and, and I'm doing my part. I'm trying to live right. And I'm going to get baptized. And I know I need to go to church more. And I'm starting, I'm really working on my language. What are they now doing? They're sharing their heart. Listen, give them a chance. If there is self-trust, it'll come out. How can you, when pressed and given down to the heart, truly give the right answers that you're really trusting if it isn't in there? You want to know what's amazing? What did I just take there, about six minutes on that? Here's what's amazing. I can hammer that for six minutes, and everybody in here is tracking and saying, okay, I know what not to say. But you let two hours go by and you ask somebody in this room and there's somebody in this room that even after hearing me having just said that, two hours from now, they will revert to a works-based answer eventually. You know why? That's what's in their heart. It wants to come out. Let it come out. And then deal with it biblically. Now let's hit verse 35 very quickly. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. The good person out of his good treasure. I know that right now I have four texts of Scripture in front of me. I have told myself, Jeff, you will not get bogged down here, so these are just going to be hit and go, right? Watch Jeremiah. This one will be on the screen. Jeremiah 17. Let's go ahead and have it up there. Watch this. Jesus says the good person out of the good treasure. Jeremiah 17, 9, verse 5, the Bible says, Thus says the Lord. And then this is a continuation. Look at, look at what the Bible says. The heart is deceitful. This is where our words come from. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The King James says desperately wicked is the idea. So wicked and sick. So spiritually sick. Who can understand it? The heart is what? The heart is deceitful. above. Your heart will lie to you. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If you want to follow me over to Romans chapter 3. Very familiar account. Go to Romans chapter 3. Several pages over, several books over. Romans chapter 3, look at verse number 10. Watch what the Bible says. Jesus says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. 
But Paul says in Romans 3 verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous. No, like not one. No, not one. No one under, picture the whole world. Notice we're going to see over and over the words none, no one, and all. The whole world. Picture the whole world as if you had a perspective. You could see everybody everywhere. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Oh, Jeff, I know someone. They've been on a journey. They've been on a spiritual journey. They're really trying to seek for God. If they are, it's because God is putting breadcrumbs in front of them and trying to draw them to himself. They did not on their own go to the Lord. Verse 11 again. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. So we're supposed to be going with the Lord, to the Lord. All, the whole world, watch, the whole world, all have turned aside. Verse 12. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. I usually illustrate that this way. You have a jack-o'-lantern on the front of your porch, some of you. You've cut it out. I mean, it's not just a pumpkin. You've opened it up. Now air is getting in there. If you try to leave that thing there till Christmas, it will be smushed in, and there will be juicy stuff underneath it, and there will be little flies all around. That thing is soured and corrupt and worthless. Verse 12 again at the end. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Here's the evidence. Their throat is an open grave. That's nasty. Close the grave in. We don't need to see all that corruption. The throat, when we speak, is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, deadly poisonous snakes, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. So here's my question. How in the world... Can Jesus, in verse 35, say, the good person? All of us have a wicked heart. Let's write that down. All of mankind is literally born with a wicked heart. We just saw two examples in Scripture. How can Jesus say, the good? And if you're thinking, you'd have to say, well, Jeff, if we're all born with a wicked heart, and there's none that are good, as Romans 3 says, all this string of quotes from the Old Testament, well, then Jeff... We would like to have to have a whole new heart to have a chance to become good. Well, glad you said that. Glad you came to that conclusion, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 17. Here's the good news. Jeff, we'd have to have like a whole new makeover. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everybody listen to me. This literally means a born-again person who puts their faith and trust in Christ is moved from being in Adam to being in Christ, and we become like a whole new creation, a whole new creature. This is not a paint job over the old. It's a brand new. So Jeff, is the old us lingering anywhere? Oh, it is still lingering there. According to Galatians 5, there's now going to be a war within the Christian, but the Christian is a new creature, a new creation, and there's going to be this war. Unsaved person doesn't have this battle. Believers have this battle, though. Verse 17 again. Therefore, if anyone in Christ... He is a new creature, creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's, an, it's what it's talking about here is something that has happened and is continuing to happen. I've got to very quickly hit one more passage here. Galatians 5. Notice what the Scripture says. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Very familiar. So, Jeff, how can the Lord say that we're good? First, he gives us a whole new heart. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit... The byproduct, when God, when we get saved, His Holy Spirit comes inside of us, there's this fruit, this evidence, this byproduct, this residual effect of Him being in our life. What is it? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, and there's our word, goodness. But there's none good, none righteous. Goodness, the Holy Spirit starts to put faithfulness. Where there was no faithfulness, now there's faithfulness. There was no gentleness and meekness, now there's gentleness. They had no self-control, and now this person has self-control. Why now? Because they have the Holy Spirit. Against such things, there is no law. If you're taking notes, write this down. At the moment of salvation, God gives believers a brand new heart, and then when the Holy Spirit comes on the inside, He begins to produce goodness within us that was not there before. That's why Christ can say, the good person out of their good treasure brings forth good, but the evil only brings forth evil. So before we hit our last two verses... I want to make a quick application. Jeremiah, we're not going to turn there. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 51. So what's the scene? The Babylonians have destroyed, in essence, Israel, especially destroyed Jerusalem. Jeremiah has heard about it. But he goes to Jerusalem, and when he gets there, he sees the destruction, and he sees the daughters of Jerusalem walking around poor, half-naked, starving, nothing to eat. I mean, just a horrible situation. And in the King James, Jeremiah says, my eye affected my heart. Hang with me, this is important. My eye affecteth my heart. Just before we leave the first point, let's remember... Our words reveal our heart. But what we look at and listen to affects my heart. Say it again. Our words, that's going to reveal you, the real you. It's going to reveal your heart. But what you and I spend time looking at and listening to is shaping our heart. So Jeff, what's your point? Guys, be careful what you are listening to, what you are looking at, because it is shaping your heart. You say, I wonder why that keeps slipping out of my mouth. Well, what are you looking at and what are you listening to? That's why that's happening. It's spilling out because you're getting an abundance of this. This is filling your heart. So guys, again, what are you listening to on the radio? What websites? Like really, go home and think. Pull up history. Just hit history on your computer on your phone. What do I look... Are these things making me more like Christ or are they trying to pull me back to where I was before I was a Christian? What podcasts do you listen to? What TV things do you look at? What streaming things do you look at? What books are you reading? What news feeds are you listening to all the time? This is affecting your heart. What music? You're like, well, as soon as I get in the vehicle going down the road, I've got to have certain music. What is that music telling you? Can I ask one last thing before we hit the second point? How often do you put yourself in front of the Word of God, either with your eyes or with your ears? Because if you'll expose yourself to the Word of God, it will make you even more like Christ. What you're looking at and listening to shapes the life. God wants us to put out. There is a progressive aspect of the Word of God. He gives you a brand new heart. You will forever be saved. But now that heart that is made in the image of Christ can become even more Christ-like by stopping to look at those things and listening to those things and implementing, I'm now going to look at these things and listen to these things. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, 37, let's notice. Secondly, this morning, our words will be judged by God. Our words will be judged by God. Verse 36. 
Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people give account for every careless word they speak on the day of judgment. So here's where I struggle. Here's where I struggle. Guys, there are like numerous passages, and sometimes they're side by side, numerous passages in the New Testament particularly that encourage believers, hey, live with joy and anticipation of glory that's coming. Don't, go, don't get drugged down all the time. Live like this is the rejoice in the glory that awaits us. This is something to look forward to. Christians, look forward to the future. future. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. But things are bad down here. But rejoice. Things are going to be great in the future. The next life's coming. So we should rejoice and anticipate this is good. Yes. But I can't get away because it keeps coming up over and over. This idea that there is a judgment day when all people will give an account to God. Do you know how some Christians answer that dilemma? Oh, well that judgment, that's just for the unsaved. Quickly go with me. I want you to see it. 1 Peter chapter 1. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Go over there. I'm reading that this week in my devotions. Private reading. That's not the one I want. 1 Peter chapter 1. I don't have time to go back, but if you would go back just a few verses before this, you know what you'll find. Peter's exhorting his audience to rejoice and live with anticipation of the next life. But notice verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Who's this written to? Who's this verse to? And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's... You say, well, Jeff, I call God father. Well, then the text says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. We are not like owners and permanent people that are in this world. We're just kind of passing by. We're in exile. We're ambassadors. We're doing the king's work here. We're heading to another life. While you're going through this, live with fear. If you're taking notes, write this down. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 is written to Christians who are saved from eternal wrath, but who are supposed to still live with a reverential fear of giving an account to God. So Jeff, we see, are we supposed to like rejoice and hope and anticipation of the glory that's coming? Or are we supposed to live with fear, a reverential awe and fear of having to give an account before God? Yes, the answer is amen. The answer is amen. Which is it? Amen. It is both. And I don't know how to get that tension just right. So I want to do both. And I think that's the point of today's text. Quickly, go back to Matthew. Look at verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Every word matters. Now, I want to be honest with you. The word, uh, I've read a few who know what they're talking about on this, confessing that I wouldn't. You see the word careless in English? So there's a Greek word behind that. They tell us that the Greek word behind the word that's been translated careless here in the ESV has an alternate rendering possibility. The alternate rendering is empty. And some translations will translate every empty. 
as though, the watch, the point of the text here is Jesus saying, every empty vow, every empty promise that was not followed through with an action, it was an empty promise, an empty vow, no action, you're going to give an account for that. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Jeff, do you think that's what, I think these got it right. That alternate is implied. Yes, you'll give an account for that. You say, then what does this mean? Here's all I can conclude. You and I will give an account for every careless, carefree, idle, seemingly useless, throwaway conversation, seemingly insignificant word. Every one of them. Why? Because they reflect the overflow of our heart to God. We are going to give an account for every even careless word that we speak. So two hours ago before the service, or an hour and a half ago before the service started, you say, I have no idea what I said. I talked to three or four people. I cannot remember what I said. Let me promise you a couple things. God remembers what you said, and God will remember what you said, and you will give an account for what you said, and so will I. I'll not have you turn there. I'll read it. Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 5. Every careless word. Look at Ephesians 5, 3 on the screen. This is to us. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. In other words, obviously don't have a habit of this. Don't even let it be named as in not even one time. Sexual immorality, all impurity, covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Watch verse 4. By the way, you say, like, what does every word mean? If you want to go back and read Ephesians 4, then you'd see lots of things about our speech. Notice verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. You know what some of us need to do right now? Stop the nasty talk. Stop the crude talk. More thanksgiving, more praise. You're going to give an account to this. Are you ready to give an account for every word? Every word. I've got to ask us. When you get to pick the conversation, what are you talking about? What are your favorite things to talk about? I challenge you. Literally do this. Take your phone. Open up all of the text. Start reading through your text. What do your text say about your heart? What do your emails say about your heart? And if I could put this one at the top, I would say, what do your social posts? Those things were like you're really gushing your heart's message to the world. What do your social posts say about your heart? Guys, when you're angry, what are your words saying is going on in your heart? When it's just you and God and you are praying, what are your words saying about you and your heart? And then lastly, look at verse 37. So we're going to give an account. Every word, every careless. Didn't mean it. Well, you're going to give an account for it. It was a throwaway. It was just nonchalant, not a big deal. Going to give an account for it. Verse 37 is tricky. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. For by your words you will be justified. Before I hit that, can we just pause briefly for prayer, and then we'll hit this last section. Let's pray. Father, pray with me. Father, Lord, would you dial us in, and those who especially need to understand the teaching of this, Lord, would you make it clear? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. For by your words you will be justified. Let me promise you this. 
Salvation will never come by anyone pulling one over on God. So Jeff, what do you mean? How would we pull one over on God? I'll read what I've typed. Salvation can never be had by pulling one over on God by merely saying the following. Listen. God, I agree with you that I'm a sinner and that Jesus is your son. I agree that he's your son. And I agree with you that his death was sufficient to pay for all my sin. And I acknowledge that he is the Lord over all. And he's the Lord over me. And I receive your free gift of salvation that you are giving by grace alone, received through faith alone in Christ alone. I receive it now. And I ask you to forgive me and I receive your forgiveness. I said, Jeff, that person's going to heaven. Merely saying accurately worded sinner's prayers never leads anyone to justification. In Matthew 7, verse 21, toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom. Going to be a lot of people, but Lord, I said the prayer. Jeff said the prayer and I said it after him. Right, you said it. Here's the key. To be effective and to really have justification, it has to be our words. Somebody else can formulate the true, accurate words, but they must be our words from our heart, not just things we theologically agree with, things that we are ultimately from our soul trusting. I am trusting that with all my heart. I believe that with all my heart. I'm literally wondering, have you ever had a time, you say, Jeff, no one ever led me to anything as specific as what you just spelled out. It doesn't have to be as specific as this. I'm asking you, though, have you ever had a time where you didn't just say something? I hear some guys on the radio. I'm thinking of one, and he is an excellent. We're going to get to heaven, and he has led tens of thousands of people. He has these huge crusades. I mean, an excellent evangelist. But sometimes at the end of his program, he just rattles through these things. If, you're, if you want to get saved, repeat after me. God, I agree with you that I'm a sinner, that Jesus is your son. His death was... And I'm thinking, slow down. What are you doing? There's no one can do that. i got to ask, have you ever had a point in your life where you really had a talk with God? God, from my soul, I agree with you. I am a sinner, and I agree with you. Jesus is your son. His death is sufficient. And I agree. He is the Lord, and he is my Lord. I'm taking him as my Lord. <laughs> And God, I'm not promising I'm never going to sin, but I'm asking you to forgive me. Please forgive me. And I know that you will based on your promise. So I am receiving it, God. I'm receiving it based off John 3, 16 and Acts 16, 31. And Romans 10, 13, I use those all the time. John 6, 37. Based on that, on your word, Lord, I am receiving it by your grace alone, through my faith alone, in Christ alone. I take it right now. Have you ever done that? From Is that your heart? Be sure. Because the text says, for by your words you will be saved. Okay, as long as I just say it. No, you're not going to fool God. It's not going to be, wow, I like 37a. I believe in Jesus. I am justified. Did it. No, it's more. So Jeff, if it's not that merely saying, then what is it? I'm almost done. MacArthur offers the following. I think you have this as a note. So let's write it. Jesus' point is not that words are the basis of salvation. But Jeff, it kind of looks like that. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you'll be condemned. MacArthur is correct. 
Jesus' point is not that words are the basis of salvation, but that they, words, are reliable evidence of the reality of salvation. Words are reliable evidence of the reality of salvation. So Jeff, what do you think verse 37 is about if it's not just saying the words of a sinner's prayer? Then what is it about? The second part of what what we just put there. Did I put the whole quote? Yeah. Notice after the divided portion. Words are reliable evidence of the reality of salvation. You got your Bible open? Look at verse 23. Go, with, go there with me. 23, 24. I'm going to ask you. Verse 23, all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Verse 24, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Based on that, which one of those groups is going to get justified? Which group will be justified based off their words in verse 23 and 24? Can this be the son of David? Ah, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, this man casts out demons. Which one of the two is going to be justified? I'm sorry? Neither. Which one's going to be condemned? Both. Why? Both are showing they don't have faith in Christ. So Jeff, what's the summary here? Verse 37. Can I ask it, say it this way? If, you're, if you will be justified there, then your words here will give evidence that you are a justified person. Have you ever had that time in your life where in some way, some form, you've had that conversation with God from your heart, and it is a correct conversation? Again, do your texts and your emails and your posts and your verbal words, are they the words in the whole? You say, well, Jeff, just so happens you did this, and lo and behold, yesterday we had a big blow up at the house, and now I feel real terrible, and she probably does too. And man, I guess maybe we're not saying, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying your life as a whole is at the words of a saved person. If you're going to be justified there, your words here should give evidence to that. So how do we conclude? Let's conclude here, and then I really am done. What does this mean? Well, Jeff, I guess it means that I'm never going to let my guard down and just be in a social setting and just have part in free-flowing banter ever again. <laughs> I'm not talking. You can talk all you want. I'm just going to inwardly be judging how bad you are for talking. <laughs> but I'm not saying anything. No, guys, we're not called to silence. So what's the takeaway? The takeaway is the two points. Here it is. We're not called to silence, so this passage for us means... We are to live, grace for you, live with an awareness of two main things. You're going to give an account for all that you say. And secondly, all that you say reveals what you are. And I just reverse the two points. Just live with awareness. You just need to know this. Your words are a dead giveaway of what you are. If you're a Christian, your words should show it. And if you're not, you're saying, well, I prayed a prayer one time, but your words are nothing of a Christian since you have no reason to think that you are a true Christian if your words in this life don't lead a person to have assurance that they've been justified. Know this, all of us will give an account and our words reveal our heart. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? So how do we finish? Are there any action steps as Jeff closes in prayer? Are there any action steps? I would offer these. Would you hang in for just a moment and not check out? 
Bring God into your sphere of awareness and let's just let the Lord apply this. Can we start right here? If you have never done this, I think the clear action step is that if you've never done this, if you've never asked the Lord to give you a new heart, you need to do that. I'm talking about salvation. I'm not talking about rededicating your life and doing something for the 50th time or the 20th time. I'm talking about for the first time from your heart. Guys, listen, I even thought of this, and I really mean it. There may be somebody that is really struggling with assurance of your salvation. And you say, Jeff, I struggle to grasp it all. Can I make an offer to you? I'll run in the office after service if you'll catch me. I'll run you a color or a black and white of a certain page that had an accurate prayer. And you say, Jeff, I just, I just need to work through line by line, like get alone and just see, is this really my heart? And if it really is my heart, then I want to talk to God. I want to settle this once and for all. But I, I feel rushed and I can't grasp it all. And I, I just, I need to, then just see me and go home. And you just pound that out, you and God, and put your faith. I can write some references out beside it, and you go claim those, just you and God. But maybe somebody here this morning, here's where you're at. This is your confession. God, I have a nasty mouth because I have a nasty heart. A lot of people know it. Nobody here knows it. But I have a nasty mouth because I have a nasty heart, and it's, there's no signs of regeneration. There's no signs of salvation, no signs of justification. Every sign of condemnation. God, I need you to give me a new heart. Then you need to trust Christ as your Savior and Him only. And then just before I pray, Christians, this week, beginning even today, let's start doing this. Let's examine our words. And just go to school. What do my words say about my heart? What, what are my words saying about me? Hey, Christian, do your words give you assurance that you're a Christian? Very imperfect, but a Christian. Christian, why don't you do this right now? Ask God to protect your heart so much that even when you're off script and unprepared and unguarded, your words still glorify God and please God. Even off script. Christian, be selective about what you watch and what you listen to. Does something need to go out? This is the Lord putting His hand on something. You are listening to something. It's affecting your heart. You're watching something. It's affecting your heart. It needs to go. Or is the Lord saying, you need to add something to what you listen to and what you watch. You need to look at something positive. Perhaps His Word. And then lastly, Christians, Strive to be surrendered. And I know this is hard. What if we just said, Lord, do a bigger percentage of my day than last week where my whole life is fully surrendered to you because then I know that even in those unguarded moments that you'll be guarding my words. So, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. And do it right now. I mean, right, I'm getting ready to pray. What if you, while I'm praying, you pray and you said, Lord, when this service is over, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit,
to so control me that you use me in someone's life, literally when this service is over. Use me in my words. You know what that would look like? We wouldn't always talk to the same old people about the same old things. And maybe the Holy Spirit would have you introduce yourself to encourage someone, to ask someone, to follow up with someone, to exhort someone, to rebuke someone, to invite someone. You're like, Jeff, I didn't come in here planning on doing that. I just asked the Holy Spirit, Lord, am I meant to be silent walking out or am I supposed to talk to one person or three people? I don't want to do just the same more. I'm going to give an account. I want more praise and more edification. I want you to use me more. Father, as we close, Lord, make me and us more mindful that we're going to give an account for every word. What a fearful thing. But Lord, let us invite you to control our words and use us. May we not flip the switch and go into lunch mode only. But Lord, Throughout the day, let our words be used to glorify you, to make you happy. And to edify people. And then, Father, if anyone needs help with their soul receiving forgiveness, then let them, Lord, talk to me or some Christian nearby. And, Lord, let us help them. And ultimately, Lord, we need you to give them faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. Have a great remainder of your Sunday.